Welcome to the Swamplex Podcast. My name is Brandon Today. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassanen. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swampflix. This is our like mid-year check-in that we do oh, once yeah. a year. Every July, we like we used to look back to the year before of like stuff we missed. Uh, last year, we did a uh, new releases roundup. Yeah, I, we're gonna do that again today because yeah. uh, I don't know. I feel like we haven't been talking about new movies yeah. for a while. Got to check the pulse of twenty twenty two. Yeah, it's um, you know, for your health. <laughs> <laughs> we are doctors. Yeah, I think the last four or five episodes have been Criterion Channel picks, and I just got kind of frustrated. I want something, <laughs> I want some fresh blood flowing through here. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess on that front, I should just open up the floor and ask, did anybody see Nope opening weekend? Yes. Oh, you did. We, we saw did. it. Yeah. We did see it. That was the movie I was going to talk about. So it's oh, very Go convenient. for it. <laughs> um, not, not for the podcast, but for the opening. Yeah. So uh, we saw Nope yesterday. I I would imagine that anybody listening to this has seen the trailer um, a million times. And I don't want to get into the plot, really, because it just came out. But... Basically, uh, there's this horse ranch owned by the descendants of the first black man on film who is or first man on film in a moving picture, which is the man, the jockey riding the um, horse. And uh, their father dies in a freak accident um, and uh, they're having to sell their horses to this ex-child star um, who owns... um, Kind of like a, it's like an old timey town, like theme park kind of thing out in the out in the desert, uh, and strange things begin happening. And I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there is an unidentified flying object involved because that's been like promoted pretty explicitly. So this is directed by Jordan Peele. It stars um, David Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer, who's uh, fucking great, and. Like Jordan Peele's other films, there is kind of like an underlying message metaphor that he is getting at through the film. But I think more than his other films, this is like very um, production wise, like a huge movie, pretty bombastic. It has some like really crazy visuals. I think there were uh, some issues with pacing and like some issues with coherence. Which was a complaint with us. Yeah, too. I but I think the plot to me was clear, but the, there were some like segments that were. It, I, f- I feel like the editing was a little confusing in some points, but I th- I think I was a little disappointed getting out of it. But the more I think about it, the more I appreciate the movie, and um, I feel like I'm so interested in Jordan Peele's ideas that I am kind of willing to overlook messiness and I, i'm just happy that he's making movies so i really liked it yeah i've been stewing over it the last day or so i i think i pretty much am gonna probably be in the minority i think where i didn't care for it, it for similar reasons to us and that we've been over and over on this this podcast. is only exciting me <laughs> <laughs> oh it's messy and it's like yeah. furthering the us uh trajectory like that's exciting to me i think i might have liked it a little more than us. I don't know. I'm still trying to come to grips with the movie, but I think it's one of those things for me where the individual pieces were extremely exciting. If you look at the whole thing as one film, I think it kind of falls apart. 
So I don't know. I'd be interested once y'all see it, yeah. Yeah. how y'all feel about it. Very good sound design. And there are some very cool, like creepy visual moments. Yeah, there's like three or four scenes that yeah. are probably in the top, like just visual stuff I've seen this mm-hmm. year. But again, as a whole, like two hour and almost 15 minute long movie, it's all over the place. Yeah. We watched a movie that is very long for this podcast, and James and I sandwiched Nope in between the two segments of that movie. <laughs> and uh, I will say the movie that we watched for this podcast flew by. Um, and it was just funny yeah. to like the, to compare the two in terms of runtime and, and breeziness. Yeah. So, uh, Brittany, what have you been watching? Well, I am. I'm pumped for Nope now. Um, <laughs> yep. But I watched this um, this movie called Alexandra's Project from 2003. Mm. It ended up on my watch list. I don't know how. Like, normally I'll, like, dig into a watch list of someone who has, like, similar taste that, like, I do. I'll, like, come across one. I'm like, oh, I'm just going to put them all, all these on mine. I think that's how I ended up finding it. It's on Tubi. And it's also on Canopy, I believe. Well, it's, like, this Australian, like, drama psychological thriller and it reminded me a lot of like a haneke movie Mm. um there's it stars alexandra and she's this um suburban housewife has two kids her husband steve and she is like unhappy with her like whole her marriage and just like i think just her life in general and steve comes off as like just this good like husband father employee kind of like breadwinner for the family but you kind of question if he's a douche or not and we're never really brought into like their past but the movie starts off with it's steve's birthday he goes to the office and while he's out at the office alexandra's like all right kids let's make a video for your dad for his birthday and he comes back from the office to an empty home his wife and his kids aren't there and there is like a recliner and a television set with a video in it like kind of set up to be like hey i should sit in this chair and watch it Mm. so he sits in the chair and watches it and it starts off with his wife and kids like making this happy birthday dad thing and he's like oh this is nice and then the kids leave the room and like she does like a birthday strip tease for him oh and then it goes dark then she like starts like slowly like humiliating him (gasps) and like torturing him and like from like fucking their next door neighbor what to like faking breast cancer oh (laughs) what um throughout the video like you know to kind of fuck with his emotions and everything and just like tear him down and like the whole vid the whole movie you're sitting with him in this like recliner like watching him watch this video and it's it's crazy like it's just it's very tense and um just uncomfortable and i enjoyed it wow yeah that sounds great that That sounds sounds really good yeah yeah it reminded me a little bit obviously of like benny's video of like how Mm -hmm. we're sitting there watching a video in a video also cachet too yeah you have me at haneke and psychological warfare stuff i i love it camcorder footage i'm on camcorder. yeah (laughs) absolutely taking a lot of boxes here so yeah alexandra's project it was great cool i enjoyed it it's um, a very Benny's video uh, right. title, like template. Right. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, yes. really underselling the content. We can tell who inspired, um, who inspired the director. Yeah. <laughs> so, Brandon, what have you been watching? 
Well, the last time I went to the theater was to see a three-hour Indian action <laughs> epic about uh, these like tough guys who overthrow the British <laughs> colonialists. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess I'm going to get more of that out of my system today. So I'll, I'll go one further back. Um, I saw Elvis, the new Baz Luhrmann oh, film. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm so interested in hearing about this. This was a desperate plea for me. Like, it, <laughs> There was really nothing in the theater I wanted to see this past Thursday. So like, it was either that or like Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see that. Okay, I want to see it too, but like, if you're going to see one of those but two movies the on, the screen, right. on the big screen. I get it. You gotta um, do Elvis. The Elvis movie <laughs> was just as long as the Indian movie I saw the next day. They were both like <laughs> near three hours what? long. Um, wow. It is a series of baffling decisions, like Tom Hanks doing that fake Dutch Southern accent that you hear in the mm-hmm. um, trailer. He is the main narrator and character in the film, and Elvis is like on screen a lot, but doesn't talk a lot. Yeah. I want to say there's maybe five exchanges of dialogue throughout the entire <laughs> film where people actually sit down and have a conversation yeah. instead of just one person saying one line, because Boz Lerman just shoves in i want to say like a dozen camera setups in every single scene so like no shot lasts more than like a second for the entire three hours oh my god it's just like constantly shifting angles and um mixing in modern pop music to show like what elvis has influenced and for the first hour and a half i was like thrilled by it like yeah I would say I'd have the same like absurd trajectory I had with like Aileen where mm-hmm. like the first half is so fun. And then the second half is like him in Vegas, like hating his life right. and just rotting. Um, and you know, your like enjoyment level just kind of crashes along yeah. with his. I can't say it was good. <laughs> it was a lot. I didn't know if I liked it or not yeah. until I left the theater and I heard this lady complaining, like that was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I thought it, it was, was pretty fun. interesting. Like, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of weird images yeah. and like ideas. Um, Tom Hanks is bad. I know right. that. Like on a base level, his performance <laughs> is awful, but it's like kind of so awful that it's fascinating. Yeah. And the decision uh. to front load him instead of Elvis is like so baffling that right. you can't help but respect it. Yeah. But but do you feel like because I I am a huge Elvis fan. I've like read his biography and the, this manager was like a central part to his life for right. decades and definitely like steered his career where he kind of wanted it to go but do you feel like the film got at anything with their relationship or no, it's was it like, just a weird choice that didn't really add much it's like it on a base level does what you just said like it's like oh he you know was kind of the villain in Elvis's story but you know that because it's the first line in the movie where it's like a lot of people call me the villain in this story <laughs> and then he <laughs> continues talking for the entire 3 hours <laughs> and he does this thing that's like very common especially since I Tanya where it's like indicting the audience where mm. it's like a lot of people say the drugs killed Elvis the doctors say it was his heart but i think it was his love for you <laughs> like pointing the finger at us for loving elvis so much that it killed him wow and it's wow. like so ham-fisted and dumb oh. that it's kind of <laughs> amazing. amazing like yeah i kind of i kind of dig that i want to watch it now i've been wanting to see yeah. it like just cuz the reactions that like all these like diehard elvis people like started like weeping at the um mm. like 
premieres and stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, it must be like legit. And I don't know. It's like, so I like Elvis movies like Clambake and Kissin' Cousins. I haven't seen a single one. Um, there's a bunch. We should definitely do King Creole at some point. King Creole. Louisiana film. There's, but in, in those movies, he doesn't like talk a whole mm. lot like a lot of it is either he's singing or he's there like he doesn't have a shit ton of dialogue so i just always looked at him as like this mysterious type person where it's like who are you man yeah it's like he wasn't i mean he was an actor but he's not like a i don't think he's a good actor right. he's just like a larger than life he's charismatic right. he's charismatic yeah but i've always found his like later vegas stuff to be fascinating and I'm curious, like, how much of the film focuses on that. It's like... Well, the second half is him in Vegas, like... Bloated in Vegas. Just rotting. But they don't really, like... Tom Hanks is in a fat suit the entire movie. They don't really bloat Elvis, which is like... I kind of really? want to see him sweaty and falling apart Well, that Well, that's more. what I'm asking. Cause, like, the, you know, the stories about him, like, taking a private jet to go get a burger that he liked. They it. don't really lean into his, like, flaws. Yeah. Like, the first half is very much, like... He's like a comic book superhero, and his superpower is he makes teenagers very horny. Right. Like, whenever he plays, like people just go into like orgasmic <laughs> ecstasy, like watching yeah. him. And then the second half, he's just like a victim to this manager, and it just breezes past him, like grooming his wife from when she was like thirteen years old. It just like breezes past his own gonna, eccentricities. Yeah. Say like, because a huge part of Elvis is Elvis and Priscilla. Like she even had yeah. that book Elvis and Me, where she like delves into it. So like, there's like one scene in her like teenage bedroom that's like super chaste, and they're just listening to records and like, you know, chatting. But they they had a very interesting relationship. Like there's, I guess that's what is frustrating <laughs> about hearing your descriptions. Like as an Elvis fan. There, his life is fascinating, but you don't park ever and like exen- soak in any specific are- scene. Yeah, that's so strange. Oh man, yeah. I still, I still gotta, gotta see it. Yeah, I will say it made me question some things, especially about these like Indian movies I've been watching. Where like, <laughs> I really like this grand level of spectacle where you turn these like enigmatic men into these like basically superhero gods on Earth, and like the filmmaking in a lot of those action movies like really just goes over the top stylistically to like accentuate how like, right. powerful these people are. And this movie does that exact thing, but because it's American, uh, the gaudiness of it was more cringe for me. And like, yeah. I feel like that's a fault of mine. Like I've been looking at Baz Luhrmann movies. Like I love strictly ballroom. That's like one of the best movies ever. So made. good. But like everything from like Moulin Rouge till now, I have this like kind of like, uh, I don't know. It's just like it's just so tacky that it kind of hurts. Mm-hmm. Where like if a fo- if I was watching a foreign film with that same attention to style and that same propulsive yeah. like filmmaking, um, I would probably be more susceptible to it. It's almost like because it's a Hollywood movie, it's like too close to home for me to appreciate. Yeah, it. I feel like that makes sense. Like your context for American movies is totally different. But I don't think that's good. Well, like- <laughs> but that that's how it felt. Like I I recently saw. A- top gun and i had heard so much about oh it's this grand you know hollywood spectacle it's like the films they used to make in hollywood and like i was watching you know the jets go fast and it's like (laughs) no it's great and it looks awesome it was loud as hell but yeah there was i couldn't get past the like ultra patriotic yeah like they bomb this country that they don't even name the whole mission is like Oh, they're enriching plutonium somewhere. We have to blow it up. I'm like, 
yeah, that's the problem with American foreign policy. It rhymes with B. Ron. Right, right. And it's like, I'm getting (laughs) in my own head about what this film represents. Whereas like when we watched a movie we're going to talk about later, there was a lot of patriotic stuff. But I wasn't as, I'm not in that country. I'm removed from it. So it didn't bother me as much. I think it's just so like shoved down our throats and it has been since we were like growing up that now it's like, oh God, again, Mm -hmm. like it's just exhausting. It's like Tom Cruise again, another Tom Cruise. (laughs) And he's in Top Gun again. Yeah, he's like the last, you know, Hollywood (laughs) star we have left. And I don't know. This this did make me want to go back and watch Baz Luhrmann movies and try to like remove yeah. myself. Please revisit Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yes, I love Moulin Rouge. Okay. It's so good. It's, I hated it in high school. I but hated I was, it in high school. I was a music <laughs> snob. Like, yeah. I was like, why are you making well, these terrible versions of songs yeah. I love? Well, and that was it. Like, I didn't know that they were like covers, covers. of songs. Yeah. So I was like, this movie is amazing. And then, <laughs> well, what a songwriter, yeah, right? Nicole <laughs> Kidman is just so like gorgeous oh in my it. god like just watching for the I would costumes love, I would love the to setting, revisit that. Yeah. yeah like that's enough yeah i thought of him as like tacky and has lost his touch for so long and i feel like i'm ready to go back and like give as, stuff a second chance. as you get older maybe he was as i get older i become more yeah. tacky and i'm like wow this looks great yeah i'm tacky yeah, as well. I mean, i'm like right. I'm, let no. me just embrace it moulin rouge is tacky but the world is so like exciting and yeah. vibrant right. yeah yeah, for some reason, I guess Strictly Ballroom is just like him doing that on like a John Waters budget. So like I'm more yeah. like willing to root for it. It was yeah. very funny yeah. and entertaining compared to the other one. So I get that. But yeah. What have you been watching besides Top Gun, James? <laughs> <laughs> um, still kind of on my black and white noir kick. But I found this really cool movie from I think it's like 1962 called Requiem for a Heavyweight. And it's essentially like the wrestler, but for boxing. Oh, cool. So Raging Bull? <laughs> kind, kind of, but it actually has pro wrestling in the story, which is what I found, one of the aspects I found really fascinating about it. It's um, this like washed up boxer who's punch drunk. The very first scene, he actually gets knocked out by Cassius Clay, like Muhammad Ali playing himself which is kind of cool and the first scene is this really cool like you see the world through his eyes as he's getting knocked out and after the fight and it's all blurry and uh, they tell him like hey if you lose another fight you're gonna lose your eye like you're going blind and his promoter played by uh, Jackie Gleason who's like a slime ball he's like shit like I bet all this money on him to lose earlier than he did. And now I owe all these mobsters money. Like we got to make some money off this dude before I go broke. And meanwhile, he retires from boxing and he connects with this social worker who like, for some reason believes in him. Like, no, you can like be a camp counselor and you could be an usher at the movies. And each time he tries to like, get a job or do something normal he just can't like he's a fighter at heart he likes to get drunk and beat people up but he's like a really sweet gentle giant and um the movie is him basically like not finding his place in like another job and at the end his promoter wants to sign him up to be a pro wrestler and what i found funny like i'm thinking like that's great like that's a good career for an ex-boxer, but the way it's 
portrayed in the movie is like, no, that's like the that's lowest. The dregs. The, the, yeah. Like, joining a carnival pretty much. Yeah. And like, <laughs> he does have to play this like, like an Indian stereotype with the headdress and, and essentially because he's so loyal, even though he knows it will be the last of his dignity, he decides to do it. And so the last scene of the movie is him like going out as a pro wrestler and like behaving like a stereotypical Indian. And it's like this tragic scene where he's like sold his soul to like help his promoter. Who's like a piece of shit. And so it's just like, you know, those stories of just washed up fighters or ex wrestlers that can't find their way in the world. And it, it did feel like a archetype for those sort of films. And I thought it was like incredibly well done. It was actually written by Rod Sterling. Oh, cool. Of Twilight Zone fame. So it's like really well written, very cool shots and a really like tragic story. I, I dug it a lot. Yeah. So, I was Requiem saying- for a heavyweight. I was taking a nap and then I woke up and it was the end of the movie. And I, I, I was in the other room and I heard him going like, yeah, yeah. And like everybody cheering. And I said, oh, well, that sounds like it ended nicely. Like, yeah, he came, he came back. And then James was like, no. But it's <laughs> it just funny to, right. to see wrestling treated in that way. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought it was so funny, especially with some of the, carny stuff that's been coming out about vince mcmahon and he's had to Mm. retire it's like yeah it's always been some carny bullshit but this film like really leans into how wrestling is just seen as like the lowest class of but now like if an mma fighter you know like a brock lesnar or ronda rousey like them going into wrestling is like a really smart paycheck yeah Yeah. and the thing in this I, i think part of the tragedy in this movie is He's kind of like a simple man, but he's his whole thing is like, I've never fixed a fight. Like they've tried to give me money to like lay down for this dude and I've never done it. And so he just doesn't understand wrestling. They're like, well, no, in wrestling, like you have to lay down for him. That's part of the show. And maybe next week he'll lay down for you. And he just can't comprehend. He's like, no, I'm a fighter. I don't win. I don't fix fights. And he just can't comprehend the wrestling world, but he does it anyway. And he just loses all of his like integrity. So it's a really good little black and white kind of noirish, sad movie. So if that (laughs) entices you at all, sounds great. Check it out. Yeah. Well, today we are talking about um, another movie about macho brutes. Ah, uh, (laughs) Displays of strength. Uh, We're going to talk about another Indian movie, which I watch a lot of these, and I try not to make y'all watch them that often. <laughs> we had a uh, famously um, debacled uh, episode on Gully Boy where I forgot to plug one of the microphones in, and we tried to salvage it. Uh, and I think I made y'all watch 2.0, or yeah, yeah, or yeah. maybe the original one that's a sequel to In Theorin. I think um, it was 2.0 because okay. I remember 2.0. <laughs> but they're like usually three hours long. Yeah, but for the sake of like what movies of 2022 are worth catching up with. I had, I had to force everyone to get on the same page about this one. I'm so glad you did. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some other new releases from this year afterwards. And all that's coming up to you right now. Like I 
said, I went to the theater on Friday and saw another Indian action epic called Shamshara. Um, and I was the only person in the theater <laughs> for this monstrously loud action movie about like the guy who's the strongest man alive and you know how he like <laughs> defeats the British Empire by himself with a little help from his friends. And that's usually the experience I have with these Indian movies. I think the last one I went to before I took James and it was the one about the palm reader. Yeah. Also completely empty and so loud. So loud. <laughs> we were yeah. just like, you know, completely crushed by it. <laughs> and I guess what's interesting about RRR, which is our main topic today, is like this movie's actually kind of taken off. Like mm-hmm. when I saw it at Elmwood where all these movies play, it was a fairly packed theater for like a weekend. And like yeah. that was back in March. And I'm used to walking away from these things like with a little bit of context but there's not a lot of like American media coverage on them. So like I kind of have to piece stuff together through like poorly translated Indian blogs and like Wikipedia pages and stuff. But RRR has been like slowly gaining speed. Mm-hmm. It still has repertoire, not repertory, but like repeat screenings in like cities like New York and Los Angeles. Like there's still packed RRR nights where people go see it like a third <laughs> yeah. or fourth time. Awesome. Apparently my mom started watching it. Hell yeah. I, yeah. I was talking to her about it today and she's like, oh yeah, I think I saw the beginning and there were, yeah. I was like, wow, that's that's how you know a movie's well, made it. <laughs> the beginning of it was so familiar and I'm like, have I watched this? It was like um, a viral TikTok video. Oh, really? Like that beginning oh. scene and I'm like, what? Like, it's kind of got traction like that. Yeah. Like it's yeah. been playing on Twitter or on TikTok yeah. or Instagram, yes. you'll just see like clips from it. And people have been talking about it yeah. way more than this style of action movie. It's funny too. Like I texted my friend after I was like, bro, you're my bro, right? You <laughs> got to see movie, it's yeah. a bromance. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I feel like it's just one of those like kind of yeah. meme worthy movies that is, yeah, it's just catching on. I have seen a lot of pushback about it because of that. Like, that's another thing. Usually I can walk away and not have to deal with anyone else's opinions. Now yeah. I've like had months of like internet <laughs> feedback, but it's like, why this one? You know, like if there's like all these South Indian action epics um, from Tollywood and Hollywood, like why is this one the one that took off? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I saw one earlier this year called Gangabai Katiawadi with one of the stars of this movie in it. And it was like this really thoughtful, politically like well-observed movie about sex work um and it's it's really oh yeah you were talking about it's very good yeah and like it has no discussion of it why is it the you know super nationalist right action epic that really doesn't have a lot to say other than you know white british people fucking suck and it's fun to watch them get smashed uh and they do get smashed but i think it's the simplicity of it. It's a very pro wrestling kind of thing, right? You're like, yeah. You like cheer for the heroes and you like boo the villains. And I think it has broad appeal yeah. in a way that some of the other ones that I've seen don't. And I think too, maybe the director, um, SS Raja Muhuli, um, he, his last film, Bahubali, is also on Netflix, much like RRR has been streaming on Netflix for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think that one also had like a fairly strong reaction in people. So maybe he's just got more name recognition than most directors mm-hmm. coming out of that industry. I think this movie's great though. I'm not, I'm not downplaying it. Yeah. It's just kind of funny. Like the phenomenon is so out of sync with like everything else coming out of that yeah. industry. And I think its main draws are 
It's a great movie about friendship. Just two buds being best bros together. <laughs> oh, and they lo- oh my God, they love each other. Like it warmed my heart to sing the the bromance yeah. on screen. Yeah. Watching them run Beautiful through a field thing. together, like with one on top of the other's shoulders. Very sweet. It's like a, a bromance of hard boiled. You know? Like- <laughs> well, that's I think that's like the main appeal of these movies to me is like yeah. they're calling back to 80s and 90s action movies from Hollywood that I grew up with, like Commando and Rambo and stuff yeah. like that. There's like a like you said a kind of a simplicity of their like morals, like good guys good, bad guys bad, mm-hmm. uh, explosions cool. Uh, like- <laughs> but, uh, but to this film's so credit, cool. I do think the plot is interesting though, like where you don't know quite what the character's motivation is, and then you find out their backstory, yeah. and then it becomes a layered. You know, yeah, there's like some betrayals thing. and like hidden identities and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The two main characters are based off of real life revolutionaries from 1920s and 30s India. One of them is Ram and the other one's Beam. Uh, Ram is from a more traditional village like outside of Delhi where like the people are oppressed by the British colonialists in a very direct way. Mm-hmm. And then um, Beam is from a more isolated tribal community where like the British will come through every now and then, but like mostly they live isolated from the city life of Delhi. Yeah. 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 So the British come through beams village and steal one of their children because they basically adopt her as a pet. And beam is the shepherd of the village. They're all pacifists and do not commit any violence except for this shepherd character (laughs) who, um, (laughs) It's his job to keep the flock together. So, like, he goes into Delhi to take the girl back to where she's from and, like, rejoin the family. And to do so, he traps lions and tigers and bears and oxen. Oh, and, <laughs> Some deer. Know, deer and, like, <laughs> uh, wolves. Like, every wild animal he can get his hands on. And um, he goes undercover as a Muslim in the city uh, so that he would be unrecognized as, like, a member of his village. And then Ram... Is also revolutionary. Uh, this is, I guess, where spoilers come Spoiler. in. Spoiler. Uh, he's also undercover and like thwarting the British subversively, but he's posing as a cop, and he is a super cop. Yeah. Who just beats the ever living shit out of his fellow <laughs> countrymen Indians. I think his character introduction is him just like literally beating the shit out of like two thousand people. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the British guy's like, I'm not scared of anything except for him. Yeah, he's terrifying. And he like turns into like it's like robot almost. God, it's like a like a zombie apocalypse. At some point, <laughs> right. he has like hordes of people on top. He's just beating them away with a flying. Stick. He's literally like just flying. Like, we take just the to step. arrest yeah. one guy. Boom. <laughs> yeah. And that's where the like good guys versus bad guys like. 80s action flavors come in it's like he's just so powerfully strong that Mm -hmm. like you just kind of celebrate him even though he's exacting fascist violence on his own people you're still like man that guy's powerful as hell like it's so cool to watch him just beat the shit out of people later in the movie beam and ram meet up while saving a child they both commit a heroic (laughs) act simultaneously (laughs) then there's a really big song called dosti about like how opposites attract and like one of them is fire and the other is water. Yeah. Uh, one of them is destiny and the other is fate. And like they're opposing um, missions on either side of like the British imperialists is uh, what divides them, but they're unlikely friends. Right. And the rest of the movie is how they have to betray each other at different times to like complete their separate missions. 
Beam's trying to return the girl. Ram is trying to bring British guns to his village. So he's fighting really hard to be the best cop ever so that he can have access to the artillery and just arm his village to overthrow the British government. Whew, that like <laughs> stretch from where they save this child from like a, a train that explodes. And that's when they first meet. And then there's the song about how great of friends they are and about how fate will like make them fight each other eventually to the garden party. Well, there's two garden parties. Uh, one the where they have a dance off with the, so the, the white boys oh. and put them to shame. And then the other garden party where Beam just unleashes like tons of like wild animals to mm-hmm. destroy all the British uh, who are just enjoying yes. their like, welcome home party to the general who's like this evil bastard. That stretch is like one of the most purely entertaining stretches I've seen in, in any action movie in the past two decades. I, yeah, I'll add in the f- kind of climactic scene where he's right, like he um, Ram his gets injured. his legs injured, so he has to ride Beam as they. Just beat up all these British right. imperialists. Shooting wildly, not that, aiming. I would add that stretch with the other stuff you mentioned as just pure exhilarating cinema. All spectacle. And a gag that's mirrored in um, everything er- everywhere all at once with the uh, the raccoon yeah. gag where there's two people on each other's shoulders like oh, fighting yeah, true. Yeah. kung fu style. I'm glad you brought up everything everywhere all the time because the only two movies I've seen this year where I felt pure joy was that in this one. It was pure, just like every 10 seconds or so, I'm like, wow. Whoa. Awesome. <laughs> wow. For, for yeah. like what? three hours. Yeah. And it was constant. It was like, damn. It felt like a good workout. <laughs> yeah, it was just like, what? Yeah. Badass. And like the entire thing. And I have not experienced that in a long time. And like I brought up earlier, like going to see Top Gun, and that's kind of how it was sold. To me, like, oh, it's pure spectacle filmmaking. I mean, yeah, in a way, but this to me was what a spectacle looks like. It's got the like, the bromance, the songs, the vi- the like over the top violence, and it just like moved along at such a brisk pace. I absolutely, mm-hmm. I absolutely loved it. Hell yeah! So <laughs> I think. What I thought was, and I don't watch as many like of these like you know Indian film epics as as you do, Brandon. But what kind of separated this one from the rest of the bunch for me is like everything. I don't want to. I can't think of another way to say, but like it made sense. Like there wasn't like random dance scenes brought in that were kind of just bizarre. And I'm like, well, what does this have to do with anything? But it's fun. Like, it was none of that. Like, everything, it, it felt like a full-on story from beginning to end without breaking apart into anything, like, wacky. There wasn't, like, just a music video set up, <laughs> which I, I see in a lot of these where it's like... And I love them! Yeah, they're great. But they feel very separate from, like, the actual plot. It pulls yeah. you out of the story and you're less invested. And, like, I don't know, I was just into into it from, like, start to finish. Yeah, I think this movie is very accessible. Like, I could probably show it to like my mom or something i think she would enjoy it and watch it and i haven't seen a lot of these movies i do think spectacle is seems to be consistent across a lot of them like especially yeah. 2.0 is to, you know just pure insanity but like the thing that really resonated with me was the relationship between these two guys like i thought it was legitimately sweet like there is macho energy but they're they're also like very tender with each other other. yeah they love each other genuinely and there there's like 
zero embarrassment or hesitation in showing that. And it's just um, like having that as the core of the movie and the core of the conflict kept me invested throughout. And then it's like rotating around that is just this carnival of utter insanity. I will say like spectacle is the reason why I go see these in the theater. Yeah. The $8 you pay to sit in an Elmwood AMC theater to watch a full range of entertainment. (laughs) Like there's really no better like ticket in town Mm -mm. to like be thoroughly just throttled by a film. Yeah. And that was another thing like me and James were trying to figure out what the corollary would be for like American cinema. And we were talking about Marvel movies, how that kind of gets at it. But this really, it's like you got like two romance plots you got like dance sequences, you have action, you have drama, you have like supernatural lore. Like it's just so packed full of like deliciousness. Oh, yeah, I, d- I didn't really mention that they turn into basically like superhero yeah. gods oh, yeah. Yeah. as they get stronger and like, <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, I feel like the Marvel movies are segmented in a right, way exactly. where it's like, you got your silly Marvel movies where it's mm-hmm. like Thor and yeah. Guardians, Guardians of the Galaxy. And then you got your like ultraviolent, serious, dark Marvel stuff. But like mm-hmm. this did kind of have it all. It has all of that in one film. And generally, I think, you know, Asian cinema is more open to that. Like, I think that's why a lot of people have been looking like South Korean horror films lately is because there's like a mix of tones there that like American movies don't really mess with. Like, You'll oscillate from like humor to like something really fucked up, like sort of erratically, or at least it seems erratic. Mm-hmm. And then I already mentioned a lot of like 80s and 90s Hollywood movies, but around that same time, Hong Kong had this like great industry of low budget, high entertainment action movies that were just this wild, you know, very physical in a way that this isn't because this is very CGI heavy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, back then they would do this wild mix of like just the most fucked up shit you've ever seen on the screen with like goofball Looney Tune antics like 10 seconds later. And I, yeah, I feel like American movies are a little more rigid. That's actually why I was thinking of Boz Lerman in this context. Like, mm, I wonder yeah. how, if he like takes influence from like Bollywood and Tollywood and yeah. stuff. Cause like, it just seems like that erratic mix of tones in his stuff like throws me more than it does. Cause I've com- come to expect it from this industry. Yeah. When I see, I see him doing like a biopic and I'm like, this is all over the place. And I think too, like that's a common criticism that even I use sometimes. And I see a lot of critics, like it's totally inconsistent is like a big sticking point for a lot of critics. And I don't know, is that an American sticking point or is that I guess, a universal I guess when it happens criticism. in an American movie, you're like, they lost control of the tone. And that's why it's like flagging w- wildly. Where like, if that's part of the genre and part of like the region, I don't feel like Raj Mahuli ever loses control of the tone no. in this. Right. Like, he's going for it just so hard at all times. Yeah. And you kind of expect it to like hit different beats. It feels like he brings it in. He brings all these different tones in and like lets them go when it's necessary where it's still cohesive. Yeah. For American movies, if if it 
it can feel all over the place sometimes. It's like, we want to do this, but we also want to do that. It's like, so you're trying to stitch together these like disparate yeah. pieces, but this feels like, okay, we have this world of RRR and all of the tones exist within that world. And the movie is just going to ping pong around like it, the tone changes, but it always feels consistent for the world. And I think that that, is significant like i never felt lost right yeah and i think usually like when you have disparate tones in a american film it's like an action comedy or a horror comedy and it's like how effectively did they blend to blend things. these two <laughs> together but it's usually not three or four or five different ones and when that does happen usually they get pushback i will say there's like a way in which coming in from this from an American perspective actually makes it easier to digest in that its politics are actually way more complicated than what I originally thought them to be. Like mm-hmm. to me, it was like very clear, like white British people, bad, right. Indian indigenous people, good kick them out of your country. Like every time they like, you know, throat slam a British guy into right. the ground and then he explodes. Like I'm <laughs> cheering the screen. The more I read about it, the type of like Indian nationalism that's highlighted here is very specific to Hindi. Hindi, mm-hmm. yeah. And um, the fact that the movie's only available on Netflix in Hindi and not its original Telugu language is like part of that. Mm. The fact that Beam is like undercover as a Muslim while he's like in the city, but like when they do that big celebration at the end and the final number of all the different revolutionaries like Beam and Ram, they kind of conspicuously don't highlight a lot of. Muslim people among yeah. like the Hindi activists. So like it's way more complicated than like the black and white like pro wrestling politics yeah. of it that I originally consumed. So like kind of being ignorant of that actually helped me enjoy it more. Right. It, yeah. It was funny like reading the on Roger Ebert's website the review which the reviewer gave it a very high I think he gave it three and a half out of four but he had a paragraph where he talked about that but a lot of the comments were like, dude, what are, like you're a white guy in America, you don't know shit about I guess this. I should have prefaced this whole conversation that none of us know anything no, about. Not, absolutely not. <laughs> not but at all. I definitely I will say at the end, when they're like celebrating the different leaders, I was like, Man, this is straight up propaganda. I mean, if this was like North Korea or Russia or something like if if this was an American film and it was like celebrating the tea party yeah, People who right. like, threw all the tea in Boston Harbor, like the patriotism of it would have bothered me more. For yeah. Sure. Well, and you know that you know it makes me think of what you were talking about earlier about like how your context is different. Like, and with Boz Lorman, when it's American movies, it's harder to like take the grandiosity and not have some kind of critical assessment of it. And I think, like, I read this movie the same way you did initially like kicking the brits out of india and that's all there is to it it is more complicated but like i don't know that my political opinion about this movie like i don't know how important it is for me to discuss the movie in that way like oh but what about this critique like i i think it's important to be informed about yeah the media that you're watching but, like, 
I don't need to go on a soapbox to other people about like, oh, but it's really a complicated situation because I have no social context for I just, it. I guess wanted, I wanted to acknowledge that like people had legitimate political criticisms Yeah, definitely. Of it. But the movies that we've been likening it to in an American context, like Commando and Rambo and Top Gun, like yeah. those movies all have awful politics. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, right wing, like rah rah patriotic. To be, yeah. The only other movies that like I've watched that explores like the British and you know during the time of the Raj and everything like that was that live action um, Jungle Book movie from the nineties and Passage to India, mm-hmm. which is based on the novel, but it was like a big movie and like. Every time, like, you know, someone talks about the Raj, they're like, oh, yeah, I've seen The Passage to India. And I'm like, oh. So it's just interesting how, like, this is, like, another film that touches on that. That yeah. seems to be getting traction in the States. Yeah. But it is funny how little that mattered as I'm watching it. Like, Revolution is, like, in the title yeah. of the movie. and Rise, Roar, Revolt is Right, American, Revolt. This is, like, yeah. a political <laughs> film. And yet I wasn't thinking about politics until that last scene where i'm like oh shit yeah this is yeah pretty nationalistic and yeah when it was top gun it bothered me but for some reason that entire three hour runtime didn't really occur to me and i think especially specifically the way they showed the faces of the revolutionaries like it did call up like um you know like north korean depiction it's like that that style of like the large bust basically kind of larger than any other person like almost godlike like makes me uncomfortable and part of that is because of the way americans talk about propaganda in other countries like but we have mount rushmore right exactly (laughs) yeah which is just like our own version of it right no and i think that is like that reaction of mine is coming from like being an American yeah. and seeing like, oh, the way that people portray their leaders is, uh, you know, these people are corrupt and bad. So I have this kind of automatic association. It would be a more difficult thing to avoid the politics if you were Indian, because like right. these two people never met in real life. These two best bros in this film. And it's kind of like fan fiction of like before their revolutions, the mm-hmm. respective like overthrows. What if they met up and they were like superheroes and gods? Right. Uh, so like it has like an overtly political context if you know what you're looking at. And for right. us, I, I mean, especially when I went to the theater in March, I was just like, this movie looks fun. Like I see what it's about. And right. all the explosions and wild animals and like just muscle flexing and stuff. Like it was right. just thrilling on yeah. its face. Like, th- I mean, this is just wildly wrong. But if there was someone made a, an action movie about Abraham Lincoln and Teddy Roosevelt, like against the Nazis, but, you know, but didn't we have <laughs> Abe Lincoln vampire hunter? Right. Like America yeah. has tried to do done, kind yeah. of their version. Yeah. And and those movies do make me un- like I can't take them at right. face value yeah. and enjoy them in the same way. So, yeah, we are experiencing it as Westerners. And then you know what? There's probably um, a swamp flick somewhere in India, and they love right. Abe Lincoln. <laughs> Vampire. Vampire. Yeah. They're like, it was just a good time. I think oh it's kind of easy to look at it like as an abstract like pop culture object yeah, when you're not yeah. in the middle of it. Exactly. So this ignorance, I feel like, does help the movie's entertainment value. Whether or not that's a good thing, like it is like right. a very easy movie to enjoy. Yeah. I think as long as you don't as- say like, 
ooh, this movie was great. And also now I know all about, you know, <laughs> right. British yeah, colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> I learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, I don't know shit about Indian politics, right. but God damn, that was a fun ride. That's essentially how I came at it. And it is a blast. I mean, God damn, dude. People should just experience it for themselves. Don't let the three hour and 25 minute no. runtime turn you away. It'll blow by. It it's a breeze totally and it will blow by. your mind. Yeah. Felt like an hour. Yeah. I was reading a couple reviews that noted the homoerotic undertones to it. I guess I was thinking like, does a bromance have to be homoerotic? And because I, I did not pick up on, I didn't think any it was sexual. Homo, I didn't think pick up any homoerotic undertones, but I feel like that point gets made anytime there's like a bromance in a movie. It's like, oh, you any, see, it's kind yeah. of like a homoerotic. Yeah. Anytime that two guys in a film are friends and they're yeah. not just like punching each other the yeah. whole time, they like love hey. each other, right? And they're like, they have emotion and stuff. Yeah. Like it's like, oh, they're probably I, gay, right? Yeah, and uh, yeah. I didn't pick up any of that. No. I was like, I these two dudes. Fucking love I, each other, that man. That makes sense that some people yeah, probably I, brought that up in comments. So. I think people are just uncomfortable with male intimacy. Yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. If you do want to see a homoerotic Indian <laughs> action movie, I recommend War. It's really good. A couple <laughs> so years ago. Yeah, Wait, but, but here's my question. <laughs> what is the difference between War and RRR in the well, male Well, that one, the two men are obsessed with each other in a way that's like very erotically charged and i don't feel like the pure love between beam and ram is erotically charged in any way it's like very friendly right. and like even when ram is trying to hook beam up with this white british lady like i don't feel like he's living vicariously through him in any hey, way he just, wants like, to help yeah. his bro. just helping his bro out um i will say that inherently anytime you celebrate the masculine form this much you can't help but Right. Like, like, if, like pro wrestling and bodybuilding, you know, no one's fucking in those, uh, well, I mean, wrestling, you do a lot of rubbing crotches to faces, yeah. but like right. generally like just that much celebration of the male physique. So like, I think the most erotic scene in this movie is when Ram is punching the, um, training bag in like the boxing gym and he punches it so hard that like its hole explodes oh, up yeah. the other side like so, so, hot. so hot like that is the most sexually charged <laughs> moment in the entire movie and it's just because this shirtless oiled man is like yeah. punching as hard as he <laughs> right. can right uh, i don't think any moments between him and beam or anything just like no when tender. he's like holding him crying and yeah. he's carrying him around because his legs don't work like it didn't feel like that's, yeah that's sexual not or romantic no. yeah but anyway, you're saying with war. War it is. And yeah. it feels like a you know throwback to like 80s American action movies, which are extremely homoerotic because yes. it goes so far into like macho physique right. that it becomes like an, an erotically charged. That's a good point. Because like sometimes I'll watch a movie and I'm like, ooh, I'm like what made it feel that way? Right. <laughs> you're right. Just, mm, these feelings. <laughs> right. There's too many like sweaty dudes doing stuff. Yeah. Even if they're not doing stuff to each other. Right. And I feel like it's an a, an obsession thing in war. Like in RRR, I don't feel like the two of them are obsessed yeah. with each other. They're right. just like teamed up. And well, I was thinking too, like what what is a bromance? To like, I have lots of male friends, but there's only maybe a couple that I would say I have a bromance in the like. And what is the distinction? And I think it is like being emotionally vulnerable and a physical intimacy, like being okay with touching each other. 
but that doesn't make it homoerotic. It's just just a physical display of affection. Uh, yeah, yeah. A, and that's yeah. kind of what a bromance or kind of understood definition. I think that's what this movie. The heart of this movie is like a genuine, real bromance without the erotic wow, undertones. Wow, RRS helped us define <laughs> what a bromance that's is. That's what I loved about it's, it. Besides you're all the totally action right. stuff, like I love that was the heart of the film for me. And when I originally pitched this movie for us, it was a couple months ago, and I wanted to do an episode on friendship because I think, like, at its yeah. heart, like, it is like a great movie about friendship. Yeah. But um, I also just wanted to talk about new movies, <laughs> so like I ended up warping that into something else. <laughs> I had this crazy thought. I, I just feel like the women in our parents' generation, they just cared more about how they dressed and just kind of like how they looked. Like, they were more into femininity. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, nowadays, I feel like girls, they just wear oversized everything like it's a blanket. You, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying, right? Um. It's like, because I think you would just look great in a dress. Not that you don't look good in a sweater, uh, but I mean, if you were. Uh, yeah, um, pretty much done, actually. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, we'll just get this wrapped up then. Whenever I kind of went through the list of 2022 movies that I was into, there's there's quite a few, but the one that has been really sticking out is like the the most uh, fun that I've had with a 2022 movie is what I chose, and I chose the film Fresh, which is on Hulu. So it's hard to talk about this movie without spoiling it. So we I mean, we're to. gonna spoil yeah. it. Yeah, I think it's it has been. Spoiled. Pretty spoiled. I yeah. mean, the cover is like a hand, right? And a zip, not ziploc bag, but you know, like uh, yeah, it's like, like a, a meat container, fresh sealed, container. yeah. But also, like this movie came out on Hulu in like March. If yeah. you haven't seen it by now, you're never gonna watch it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, so who cares at this point? Unless we talk you into it. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the film, I to be honest, like the the two main um, actors in the movie, I've never really seen them in anything. She's been blowing up. Daisy I've not Edgar seen Jones. Her. Yeah, Daisy Edgar Jones and what's his face? Uh, Sebastian Stan. Yeah. Isn't oh. he like in a bunch of superhero movies? He was also in Gossip Girl. Uh, Let's see. Okay, yeah. I've never watched Gossip Girl. Well, I'd, only like one season. But also, uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, like, right now she's in that We're the Crawdads Sing movie, which looks oh, awful. Yeah. <laughs> I was... um. Me and my mom were at like the white boot stroll in Homa, and I'm like, "Why does like downtown Homa look weird?" And they're like, "Oh, they're filming like where the crawdad sings." And I'm like, "But we don't even call them crawdads." I was so I think confused. It's set in like North Carolina, it, yeah, it's not yeah, set in Louisiana. Yeah. yeah, and it was based on a book that I never even read or yeah. heard about so. by a murderer. Which yeah, you should look at <laughs> literally that. murdered people that were poachers, poaching, right? Yeah. yeah, I read a piece about Holy, that. Like, so they what? poached to the poachers, and then she wrote a pro murder movie. Yeah. Uh, Ah, yeah. Wow. Okay. There's idea. a lot to unpack with. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a basic instinct. But she's in the the Crawdad movie. Yeah, and she was also in Normal People, which people really liked. Oh yeah, the that. Sally Rooney. 
And then she's also in um, that Mormon show with uh, Andrew Garfield that was like popular a couple months ago. Huh. Oh, Banner Under Heaven, God yeah. or Under mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Like that. Interesting. Did not so she's know around that. a lot. Yeah. Also, her dad is the president of Sky Entertainment, which that is like one of the oh, biggest okay. British, oh, yeah. the British uh, yeah, you know, yeah. right. media uh, companies. Right. Nepotism <laughs> baby in the film industry. She's very good. I don't mean yeah, to like she is downplay good. She's that. She's great in here. Yeah. Well, in this film, she is like probably like in her mid-20s and she is exploring the dating world, which is a nightmare. <laughs> Everything's online and... You know, you have to meet people online and then when you meet them in real life, it's weird. And she kind of goes through that with like the stereotypical Chad, which and the guy's name is Chad, you know, just a very awkward dinner where, you know, men like to tell women like, hey, you would look great if you did this or you should probably think of doing this. So (sighs) the film did get some criticism for being like very like in your face with a lot of that kind of stuff instead of being more subtle and smart with it but i found it to be funny Ooh. yeah we're not of pro subtlety podcast. yeah <laughs> exactly. I, I loved how when his I, name is chad he's was, a chad yeah it's funny a chad being a chad and he's yeah. wearing the worst scarf and it's just dragging in his oh, face yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty. Like, yeah i'm like told my friend i would get some food so it's okay if i take your leftover like just the worst of the worst right i mean i'm not gonna lie i do that whenever i go eat with people and they're like oh take it away and i'm like wait I'll take your I'm making leftovers. a bundle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just having shit luck in the dating realm, and she has a meet cute at a grocery store. So she has a situation where she sees someone in person, and it's kind of like shit that like we've seen in like eighties movies. Like, oh my god, they went to the grocery store and somebody flirted with her, and they exchanged numbers, and then they really hit it off. So it starts off with being like a, a rom-com mm-hmm. where, yes. oh, all this, you know, internet love makes no sense because you found someone in, in real life in the grocery store and he's great and he's fun and y'all are, y'all have this great chemistry. And then um, she kind of blacks out a little bit and then the credits start. So like 38 minutes like into this movie, mm-hmm. um, it, it's sort of an opening scene. It's probably the longest opening scene I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. <laughs> I want to say RRR is also about 40 minutes oh, in God, when you get yes. the <laughs> you, you, You're right. You're right. So then in the opening sequence, it's this very cool like flashback to like a 60s psychedelic mm-hmm. yeah. film where yeah. you it's almost like she's tripping out a little bit and everything's blurry um, because she's drugged. And she wakes up, chained up, and Steve is there. And she's like, what is happening? And she realizes that she's like been kidnapped and she's chained up and she has no idea why he's doing this. And her reaction to it is so realistic. The way that like she takes like in her surroundings and realizes mm-hmm. like oh fuck this is horrible well it turns out that steve has a business and he like <laughs> traps women it's an entrepreneur yeah, he's an entrepreneur a small business owner where he kidnaps women and then he like chops off certain parts of their body while they're still living and like solders up where it ends to keep like the body parts fresh and then he like sells their body parts to these like wealthy cannibals and he like makes this like little you know etsy store package Mm -hmm. where he like puts like a personal item a big lock of their hair and a little notepad with like their leg or something like that so 
I've never seen a film that explores cannibalism in this sense to where the person's still alive and mm-hmm. like parts of their body are being taken one by one versus like killing the person and then chopping them up, which I thought that was kind of very terrifying. Like, could you imagine like, you know, getting, right. literally her ass gets taken off and then, you know, the next would be the leg or the hand or whatever. But it's done in this comical way that makes it even creepier. Like there's, he's dancing to that obsession song <laughs> in the kitchen while he's like prepping up a leg to ship out. And he, he's also a cannibal himself and he, he like partakes yeah. in, in eating. He's just got like a cured leg sitting and on just his, like, ugh, yeah. like, like those, um, Spanish, yeah, like, the hams, Spanish hands. You know what I'm talking right, about? Yeah. Exactly. That's what it looks like. And she's all the while, like, trying to find a way to get out. And she's really smart and savvy. And she realizes, oh, he likes me. or something about me that he likes. So she starts eating people with him on, on these, like, bizarre little dates while she's mm-hmm. imprisoned. And it turns out that her friend, who she was, like, giving updates to because she – so I should have started this off, but she doesn't have, like, a big family – and that's kind of like women that this guy targets. Mm-hmm. And she, but she does have a really cool close friend who kind of helps keep track of her. And she realizes there's something suspicious and she finds out like where this guy lives, goes to his house, meets his wife. Turns out his wife is in on it and she's like a past victim yeah. of his because she's missing a leg. To be my one criticism, I think, of this movie is I wish they would have like dove into like that relationship like how did she get to that point to where like she's working with him and like married to him with kids i do like that um there's like sympathy for her in that moment where you realize she's a past victim but oh, then later she's taking the shower yeah so but then sad. later like she's just as she's vicious horrible. as him yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then well her friend ends up in the same predicament that she's in but her friend let in this guy who works at a bar that they go to the situation that happened and he finds them it's just this whole thing made me think where i'm like oh my god every time like i go somewhere with a stranger i have to fucking probably tell 20 people what's going on with me you know it's that's the the creepy part of it but um it's funny it's dark it's gruesome it probably could be a little bit more gory in certain regards but i I think if it would have gone too far it wouldn't have been this bizarre like dark spooky comedy so yeah um i liked it i found it entertaining um this was my second watch so when i first watched it, i'm like this was super fun i loved it and i was kind of concerned the second time around because that's whenever i start getting real judgy <laughs> and i still liked it and enjoyed it yeah so yeah what did y'all think about yeah. it i thought it was super fun i think the first half hour is perfect and uh-huh. it's like a perfect short film, too. Yeah. Um, and then I, f- I felt like it got, like, a little bit lost in the last, like, in the in the rest of the movie. But I still thought it was, like, visually very fun. Like, the aesthetics are great. And, you know, I actually kind of liked that it wasn't super gory because i yeah. think you know as they're getting their body parts taken from them it's like the focus is on them losing their identities yeah. and like the parts of themselves like she can he- hear and communicate with two other victims 
and they're just trying to like I don't know they're trying to encourage each other to keep going and um like find a way out and it made me think more about how like women's bodies are you know packaged for the consumption of people literal pieces of meat right yeah (laughs) there's a class thing too there like the the customers are all like super rich business dudes yeah 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 yeah. they they have have like a cabal flashbacks of not or not really flashbacks it's probably like in the same time sequences where we get these little clips of them like eating and there's like these close-ups of all these like nasty old like rich dudes mouths like just (laughs) eating all their cannibal fucking meat and shit yeah yeah I didn't know where it was going to go. I thought maybe she would eventually... I I thought it was possible that she would end up with him. Like, the dating scene is so horrible uh, that... Like maybe I can just live with this guy because they I did would, have I would have liked that. Yeah, they That's did. A better He's angle. so yeah. likable. Yeah, they <laughs> had good, like legitimately <laughs> like good chemistry. Right. It's like I'm just gonna deal with the shit that is wrong with you because right. this is the best that I've found. Like I thought that that would be kind of interesting. So well, have, that's reality, right? Have and you it's seen like, that show? So. Um, you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was similar thinking satire. Of a lot right. of like, yeah. And sort of, you know, the way that that, I think the first season ends is sort of like that. Another Gossip Girl alum, by the way. Oh, shit, you're right. (laughs) I want to say it's the third season where he finds someone to marry him who's aware of what he does. Yeah, yeah. And That's kind of been the arc of that show. Yeah. It also would have made this more unique because like you were saying, like the first half hour... And maybe the earliest scenes where she's in the dungeon, like that's when it is its like most pure self. Yeah. And it's doing this very interesting kind of like what we're talking about with RRR, like the American version of genre mashups where it's like just two things yeah. smashed together. So it's like a torture porn rom com, yes. which is like yeah. a very Dude. unusual mashup. Okay, I have to talk about the this is like a personal thing, but like every once in a while I'll bounce like story ideas off of Hana and this past year, I've been really thinking about that genre mashup idea. How, like, when you go into a horror film, there's certain expectations, certain like beats to the story you expect, and definitely like a rom com. Like, it's gotta hit certain beat and mm-hmm. flow. And like, I've been fascinated with the idea of presenting a movie as if it's a rom com when it's really a horror film, and like. Months ago, I've been like telling Hannah about this idea, and then like I watched Fresh in that first like 30 40 minutes. I'm like, that's it, that's exactly what you know I was thinking of is like because it hits the beats of a romantic comedy mm-hmm. so well. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, it feels like a rom com. If you didn't know anything about it or didn't see the poster, you'd be like, oh, I'm in a rom com, and then that shift where she's drugged and you're like, oh, wait, we're actually in a horror movie. That delighted me and tickled me so much. That was like the peak of the movie for me. And the other part about that scene is that it it does hit all the beats of a rom-com, but it doesn't hide what it is because he, like when he's at the bar with her, he says, oh, so like, 
what's your family situation? Mm-hmm. You know, and he's trying to feeling her out. Yeah. And then later he's like, oh, yeah. So have you told anyone about me? You know, like, oh, tell me more about your right, friend Molly. Right. Manipulation yeah. on the viewer. Right. God. Exactly. He's like, you can see what he's doing. But if you don't know that's where it's going, then it, it just they seem like innocent questions. Yeah. But the way it resolves later, like her seducing him through these like dates where they're like sharing the meat yeah uh is sick. also very strange right and that a weird mix of that cute sick uh, right. <laughs> it's tonal there were certain parts where i'm like shit is she getting into it i yeah. don't know and then she'll go throw up yeah out into the toilet. Like, right, all right, all right. <laughs> but the way it resolves where like her friend is coming in to save her and then the friend has another layer down another friend following right. her <laughs> it just felt like get out for white ladies yeah. and like it was like yeah. it was in that like resolution where it kind of loses what makes it distinct as its own thing. It like, yeah. like falls back on like a genre template. Right. Um, I do like that when the second layer of the friend uh, coming to yeah. rescue everyone, <laughs> oh, yeah. he just bails. He's like, He's like nope. the vibe's off. I got to go. <laughs> right. Like, I'm going to get murdered if I stay here. Like that was a funny gag. Yeah. But um, it was just funny how much it reminded me of get out at the end. And yeah. like the first hour reminds me of nothing else like it. You know, like that's like the unique stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's like, isn't it? It's called like the magical Negro stereotype. That's a little different. That's more like um, in Legend of Bagger Vance, where like uh, Morgan Freeman's like a magical ghost character that just gives him great advice. Yeah, Th- yeah. this is more like um, black best friend character. Where black, like, that person yeah. has no internal life or like right, right know, character You're outside of like how rescue. she's in service of her white right. friend. Yeah, she's yeah. A main character. Something about that I didn't. I like. I liked her character and performance mm-hmm. but her like role in the script and in the story felt like yeah. kind of like some version of that that yeah. makes me feel a little icky yep i hey, agree she was also black and not daisy edgar jones maybe it wouldn't feel as icky i, I have no clue but hmm. i wonder if she is replaceable in the movie because she's very good i don't think sebastian stan is replaceable like yeah his performance no. is very specific they're both very good yeah. in yeah. their roles she had a very like i felt like she had a very particular kind of millennial cuteness mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i i don't know i i that role could be played by someone else but i yeah. do think she had like some special like ooh, i'm a young you know 28 year old where they're very like love. thin but have like big yeah. shaggy hair yeah, big, that's always messy zoe deschanel bangs really good chemistry with yeah. him though like yeah, they, they, were, yeah. they had good chemistry yeah. together i yeah. think she's very good in it and mm-hmm. she helps it feel like a normal rom-com at the beginning yeah like, absolutely it's very it feels like those like kind of smarter indie rom-coms that you watch at sundance where this movie premiered mm-hmm. but like kind of like obvious child or like yeah more modern like low budget stuff um that's like all about like tinder and dick pics and like <laughs> just all the absurdities the of tinder horror dating. yeah that yeah. didn't ended up well tinder probably would have saved the day i don't know <laughs> but yeah i think it's cool too because well the director mimi cave this is like her first feature film that's impressive cool um yeah. Other than this, she's done short films and a couple of Sleigh Bells music videos. Oh, nice. um, that's cool. That fits. Yeah, I thought that was, I mean, this I thought was really Cute awesome. And Sinister is kind of how I would, you know, describe them yeah. as well. Yeah. She does a lot of, like, camera movements, like, because you're kind of stuck in that house once she's, like, chained to the wall, but, like, the camera twists and turns and, like, swoops down hallways and stuff. Like, she's, like, really playing with the space. Yeah. I loved being trapped in that super clean modern spooky house it was so modern and so like spick and span that it made it scarier 
Yeah. <laughs> for me. Man, I loved his paintings, I have to say. I wanted his. He had this like forest painting with like all these naked women. It felt uh. like a spa that you would go to and like like you know how people are like, "Oh, I'm going to Arizona to have a spa retreat." Right. <laughs> like yeah. it feels like that would be one of those houses. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Well, Hanna also selected a first-time filmmaker's debut. I did. Um, I actually, I think I saw this movie in 2021 um, when it premiered at Sundance. But I'm putting it in my 2022 movies because it was released um, publicly this year. Uh, It is called We're All Going to the World's Fair, um, directed by Jane Schoenbrunn. And it is a film about this teenager, Casey, who starts to participate in this kind of interactive MMORPG online. Uh, it's it's like a horror role-playing game. So people um, upload videos of like performing this kind of ritual to enter the World's Fair. And then they post updates of like any changes that they um, exhibit in themselves. And pe- all sorts of people have different symptoms. Like this one guy shows his arm and it's like covered in pustules and um this other guy is like says he can't his body is numb uh he can't feel he's like running on a treadmill and slapping himself so she enters she's this lonely teenager in a rural area it actually reminded me a lot of the area that i grew up in it's like very wintry a little desolate like big highways with like big box stores and she starts to post videos about her transformations. Her videos catch the attention of this older guy named, I think his initials are JLB. Um, they're the only two actors in the film. And then the film is also supplemented by these uh, like YouTube videos um, that were provided by various people. So I love this film because <laughs> it just like, breaks my heart i i feel so strongly for casey she doesn't seem to have any friends she doesn't seem to have any relationship with her father that's really the only other person in her home and it, it, like there's one interaction and it's it's like very hostile he like yells at her to go yeah because she's listening yeah she's listening to music yeah she's watching Poor these videos so she really like all of the social interaction she gets is from these videos that she watches. And her, so she posts these videos in a very similar way to like eighth grade, um, where mm-hmm. it's like through the iMac photo booth recording and she's like practicing like what she's going to say, like, hey guys, um, I'm getting ready to do the the world's challenge. So it's like, she's so vulnerable and awkward and she's really like, self-soothing through the internet and it's not clear in the beginning whether this is like a real horror phenomenon or if it's just a game that people are playing she posts videos where like her face starts to contort she starts to like behave really erratically but it could be like a change as a result of this mmorpg or it could just be like her kind of pent-up emotion finally having a like 
place of expression, which is not widely viewed by other people. She has like 69 views. Uh, felt some like Swamp Flicks. Uh, hard <laughs> I know. <laughs> Those page counts. Yeah. yeah. 18 views. I yeah. Mean, it's, I remember like I, I didn't really grow up as a teenager where like the online world was huge as big as it is mm-hmm. now but i remember like watching these like youtube videos yeah where someone's like in a room that looks sad like her little attic room yeah exactly. oh my god and then like they have like 15 views and they're like hey it's me again i'm like oh my god they have more than one video right like they yeah they just keep going and like i don't know i feel i just feel so strongly for her like there are parts of me that I did similar things. Like when I was in high school, I would post videos of me dancing to songs and it would get like 15 views or TikTok like talk is built on that. Right. Like as an yeah. industry. Yeah. 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 Like, or me at the park with ducks, you know, and just, I'm like waiting for people to respond. To yeah. Me. But I don't know. I, th- I think the thing that I love about this movie is it, it really shows like how, isolating living in this time can be and like the coping mechanisms that you develop when you don't have human connection and then like this guy does attempt to reach out to her and build a connection with her because he's worried about her but it's like that doesn't even really work like it's still Mm -hmm. broken and and difficult to to his character is like alone in this house and he's like a guy in his 30s or 40s seems like he's in a lonely marriage yeah he does have a yeah he you can see his wife like in the background doing laundry at one point but for all intents and purposes he's alone yeah and yeah man this movie just made me feel sad yeah (laughs) yeah i had like a really big expectation versus what it actually is yeah shift we're like i've been dying to see this since sundance last year it's finally on hoopla which you can watch free through the library if your library pays for it uh, New Orleans Public Library does. Yeah. So like for the past year, just seeing the images and the way people talk about it, right. I was kind of picturing unfriended, but less horror and more like artsy drama. Same. Mm-hmm. And it's not a found footage movie, really. Like like you said, there are those clip reels of people participating in the World's Fair and these like yeah. video diaries. But like most of it reminds me of these like movies that my friends um, from Memphis used to make when we were in high school and submit to film festivals and they would never get in. Yeah. These like weird little dramas that like they would film on their like one digital camcorder that they had. And they were like really fun, weird movies and no one ever saw them because they just never got picked Mm -hmm. up. And I used to spend so much time online at that time talking to those specific people to 4 a.m. every single night on AIM. And like... (laughs) That was like the loneliest time of my life. Yeah. Like, just like not sleeping well, talking to people who live like hundreds of miles away. Um, I had friends in New Orleans through school, I guess, but like they were, I didn't have a car or anything. So it was just like so separate from yeah. like the social life and the city life that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. And like, that was the big adjustment for me. It was like, oh, this is actually just a very recognizable indie drama template for someone with no budget. Yeah. And like, what they did with their budget and like how far this movie has been distributed is like fucking crazy. <laughs> like it's great because it does have that high style moments that are creepy and eerie. Like right. a found footage horror movie would be like uh, they, they name check paranormal activity and mm-hmm. um, she like puts on that glow in the dark face mask yeah. and like 
there are moments that are creepy internet stuff, but for the most part, it's just like this really sad drama yeah. about loneliness. Right. I had the same reaction. Uh, so I was so excited to watch this movie at Sundance, and I thought it was going to be the. I thought it was going to be a horror movie, and it wasn't. But I still felt like like I felt so strongly for it in a totally different direction. Like that scene where she's like can't go to sleep and she goes to her shed and she starts this ASMR video of this person saying like, you're okay, you're okay. Yes. And just like, mm. that's what she listens to, to go to sleep like this. And then as soon as the video ends, it's just like black silence. Like you can just feel her isolation. So yeah, I was, I totally thought it was going to be something else and still really appreciated it it's for what it was interesting that you brought up eighth grade earlier because like yeah. the same way that like eighth grade made me feel like this also made me feel <laughs> like this would be like if you ever want to like explore your like past trauma i guess of yeah. being like you know like a dorky kid like watch both of these back to back and then cry it out for a good like five hours You'll it, be okay. and it, it reminded me of inside <laughs> yeah too yeah just the, the isolation aspect no 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 Sorry. No, the, oh, the Burnham thing. The Burnham. <laughs> like, is that even the movie I'm thinking about? Like is a there a French extremist? Movie? Is there like a pregnancy? Yeah, yeah there is. There is, there is okay, right. yeah. Exactly the same movie. Whoa. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the Bo Burnham thing. I actually love that movie. Yeah, yeah. No, right. that makes more sense. <laughs> yeah, a lot more sense, I hope. Um, but I, I think what I really liked about this movie is, was the music, just because oh, I yeah. am a fan of Alex G., and he did the score. There's something kind of haunting about his like kind of lo-fi indie stuff that fits perfectly with the aesthetic of this movie. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it just added this like creepy but sweet melodramatic. I don't know. It was yeah. like his music fit very well. Throughout, it also the film. sounds like bedroom content, like the, the yeah. sort of like loose yeah. strumming on the guitar and like he's like. Just sort of like very achievable on a MacBook sounds that he's like making. And I think he did, especially his earlier stuff. Yeah, it's just for bedroom pop, you yeah. know. And I don't know, it, that like emotionally made it resonate. And a lot brought me, me back to those Memphis movies. I guess I should name check who I'm talking about, but like, I don't know. What I Love About Concrete was the one that they finished. And they did another recent one about um, furries uh, <laughs> called Ruckus. That's very good. But yeah, it brought me back to like an aughts era indie drama micro budget filmmaking style that you really don't see anymore. Like, yeah, I, um, it feel it feels like a throwback to like my teenage years, <laughs> but it, I guess in a different way than you're describing. Other than like, I was crushingly lonely, right? That's yeah, <laughs> and that's unavoidable. Right. That's like what the movie's about. Yeah, I do like that. Like, she's reaching through the. I guess this is like a big spoiler. I don't know if you want to like check the time code and jump to the next movie if you're like worried about that. But she's like reaching through the internet for some kind of connection yeah. the way that like every lonely teenager would. And the attention that she gets back from this guy is the one thing that would mortify a teenager, which is like, I'm worried about yeah, you. Are you okay? God. Yeah. <laughs> so tough. Yeah. I'm glad it did that because I was a little unsure about 
it's quality control sometimes with like her acting because like Mm -hmm. it feels a little like a teenager trying very hard to be weird on the internet yeah and then that's exactly what's going on right but Mm -hmm. in a way that like drops the pit from your stomach like you just like feel like oh that's what's okay yeah and yeah you can't do anything but feel bad for her yeah um, in that final moment well since we're kind of in spoiler ish territory though how did y'all feel about the ending because i feel like it was a little ambiguous not really okay but how ambiguous do you think it was i mean there's two options like either she logged off because this um interaction was like too personal and direct or she logged off of life and killed herself well because he tells the story of like oh we met up and you know we got coffee and we went for a walk and we talked like did that really happen i don't think that happened or is that just what he's saying because the contact was cut off and that's kind of how he wants to end the story. I have no clue how to yeah. answer that. <laughs> I don't know. It feels yeah. like I, I thought that was just one of the more interesting aspects was like when it ended, I was like, hmm, that's interesting. What happened? Yeah. And so I just kind of wanted- He does love role playing online so that right. you can't really tell for sure. Yeah. My thought was the, watching the second time, I, I thought, man, it's really like weird that it's ending with him and not with her because this has been from- her perspective the entire time. And then I thought, well, he's been posting about his interactions with her. So I think either option is viable, but it would make sense to me if he just wanted to like submit something that was like capping off that interaction and kind of like a a fantasy way too it's like oh she's part of a theater program now and like we saw a movie together and we had so much to say to each other like i just didn't really believe him um and i from a filmmaking perspective i thought it would kind of take away from her story if that was what happened and she didn't get to i mean the way you're describing it makes me feel like she definitely killed herself because like if she's not there to create more content right yeah, yeah. does so she th- exist or a happy ending right. is she just logs off the internet and right like, I'm she done was with like this. this didn't work out but i for me. don't but yeah. think that's how it would play out yeah right. oof <laughs> it really is tough yeah. like i i just had a very different expectation for what it was yeah. going to be and i really feel like i need to revisit it already yeah just knowing what it is because i feel like kind of what you were saying with fresh like the threads of what's happening are, you know, very early on detectable. Yeah. So that maybe revisiting it would be like even more rewarding. Too. Yeah. I do think that it's a shame that it was kind of marketed in the way that it was because I th- it's not what it seems to be, but I understand. Like, I still think that it's really good for getting at a different kind of like teenage experience, especially in this yeah. It also did, it did remind me a little bit of like, you hear about teens that do like the Tide Pod challenge and all this really destructive stuff that can kill you. It's like, why are they doing it? It's so dumb. Attention. Yeah. Attention and they're Mm -hmm. alone and they want someone to recognize. So I feel like this movie really got at the heart of like why a teen would engage in some of this stuff online. Also, like there's a certain kind of like, bizarre internet content that you only see in documentaries like uh like uh tickled or oh yeah, uh, yeah. wrinkles the clown or uh right. <laughs> oh, y'all remember that one that. Uh, yeah we forgot about that one oh, or beware the slender man was another one like yeah. it's like this like whole world of like content for yeah. a very small audience and it goes under parents radar f- for that exact reason yeah. so like these people just going down these like 
strange rabbit holes and like taking this stuff directly into these their brains um, and it's uh, not good yeah. <laughs> like, it's like objectively creepy yeah and also i thought that ending was creepy too because it's like her story has now become his story right now he gets to go online and talk about oh yeah i knew that girl and we went to the movies once and she's doing fine it's like the way you can steal yeah. other people's stories right. to become your own so for internet clout yeah weird weird times we're living in <laughs> yeah so uh, I wouldn't call it where uh, I wouldn't call this a fun movie, but it's also pretty short. Um, yeah, and it's beautiful. I, yeah, too. yeah, I think it is. Yeah, that way. like low light digital grain yeah. is like used yes. in a very interesting way. I like it. I do like the visual aesthetic yeah. of it. And the marketing works. They got their next um, film set up with like A24. Oh, nice. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you know. Nice. Very from like cool. this micro budget movie with like a very small cast to that. Yeah. Like it's a pretty good jump. Yeah. Um, so it's exciting. Yeah. Yay. Speaking of things that are exciting, <laughs> let's talk about the new Gaspar Noe. Oh, I love oh, that intro. I think, I think Gaspar Noe would love that as a provocateur. <laughs> there was nothing more provocative than the slide so, whistle. I got a slide whistle for my birthday. That was, that was Sorry. Crazy. I love that. So it's bringing everyone joy. Yes. We're going to need it for this next discussion. Yes. Um, what is everyone's relationship with Gaspar Noah is how I want to. I start. hated him until climax and now I'm interested. <laughs> I have seen every one of his movies and I've been very conflicted because they're very sexually and violent, you know, very graphic, provocative. Um, what about you guys? I've only I've only seen Climax. I Me think. too. I yeah. can't really? think of any other Gaspar Noe yeah. movie I've seen other than I guess, Climax. Man, I don't know. I guess it was just that time period when you know we were watching every fucked up movie you could find, and it's like irreversible. Enter the Void. Yeah. Yeah, and Enter the Void. I don't know some... that I have seen that many because Irreversible pissed me off so much. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. I've only seen like two or three cents. I guess I guess I feel about him the same way as Lars von Trier, where like. I have a complicated relationship where like I want to see what you do because it's interesting, but damn, you like piss me off sometimes and it's like not good. And this movie that came out last year and has pretty much gotten universal praise called Vortex. And I think it's like his first film that's kind of broken through to like being a critical darling, which like he's been written a lot about. In kind of the same way as a Lars von Trier, like, ooh, great troubling filmmaker. And apparently he had like a brain hemorrhage a year or two ago that was life-threatening. He also got sober for the first time in a long time. And I think he also had someone in his family that struggled with dementia. So this film is sort of all that stuff. It is kind of annoying after climax for I, I think this movie is very good, but like for people to be like, oh, this is when Gaspar Noe grew up, and like this is like oh, no, his first good movie, right? Like, and that's on. what you've so seen in a lot of in a lot of the reviews. That's what it has been presented as. Like, oh, he's now a humanistic filmmaker. He was always very stylish, but now he like cares about the human experience. What a boring take. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think that's a correct. One. I feel like. This is a very simple story in a sense. Uh, and I have to bring it up because as I was watching it, a more a Michael yeah. Haneke movie we talked about, 
it has a lot of links to that film. It's a couple, you know, pretty affluent couple that the matriarch of the family is suffering from Alzheimer's and dementia. And the family's trying to figure out how to handle this while the husband played by Dario Argento, which is <laughs> insane. It's like the first role first he ever had. Role like he's acting. ever had. Yeah, besides like cameos and stuff. Yeah. 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 Um, he's very good. He is he's very really good. good. And he kind of plays himself. He's a director, maybe Film critic. critic, yeah. He's writing a book about movies and dreams. And dreams, <laughs> right. And he's trying to take care of his wife who's deteriorating and they have a son who just came out of a rehab and he's not really in a good headspace, you know, and he's trying to to help them as well. But it's essentially a slow process of them dying together. And the film is shot in split screen which I think he just started doing. There was a film that came out the same year. Lux Eterna. Lux Eterna, which I have not seen. But that one I think is more in his usual thing where it's like a very high style horror movie about witches. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, he's Fun. still he's still doing his usual thing. Yeah. But it, yeah, and this one, it's like, it is really stylish, you know. I love that part of I think movie. the split screen <laughs> yeah. is genius because, I mean, we'll get into like thematically why I think it's genius, yeah. but- I think maybe even up front, like the reason that Gaspar Noe is kind of a, you know, interesting person, even though he like deliberately provokes people as like a shock filmmaker, like his movies are very over stylized in a way that I find thrilling. Yeah. And it's frustrating when the movies aren't good. But the question usually is like, is this a gimmick or does Mm -hmm. it actually like feed into the themes of the film? Yeah. And I think in this one, it's pretty undeniable. And I think, yeah. it, and in Climax, I think it did too. Right. Because in a film about dying and death, like death is a solitary experience. We all have to die alone. And so this split screen is two characters dealing with death in their own sort of boxes, their own world. And that felt like a very poignant, stylistic choice so that was the first thing that immediately grabbed me in the movie where the couple is laying in bed together and you get a scene early on where they're having wine and it's very nice and they're sweet together and then there's this really lovely french song about death but then you see them laying down to go to bed and slowly as you can tell she's becoming confused the dementia is setting in the barrier comes down and now they are separated. And that like first introduction of that style gimmick, whatever you want to call it, like that was pretty emotionally affecting. It's like, oh damn, they're off into their own worlds and they're dealing with this separately. Like it it very clearly marks the beginning of the end. And like as the line is coming down she her hand is on his hand and then as it passes she like moves her hand away it's like this is the last we just saw their last moment together mm-hmm. as like a combined unit yeah and it's not like very rigidly separated like they are living separate lives in the same apartment mm-hmm. and that's like right. you know visually represented in the split screens but like there's a lot of effort to reach across the barrier and like 
it makes the image look a little strange. Like Dario's arm, like looks like stretching right. like Mr. Fantastic. It's not a perfect yeah. cut. Yeah. Right. But again, like thematically that's, it's like you're trying to reach across yeah. the person and it's a little yeah. disjointed. But it doesn't feel forced. Like it's not, it's not like he's forcing that moment to represent something thematically. It just sort of like happens naturally. Yeah. But it also works. And there's a lot of like kind of choose your own adventure stuff with your eye in this movie where like when I think whenever they share the room, then they'll switch frames. Yeah. Like if, if they mm-hmm. like intrude in each other's images, then the like the left side switches to the right. And your eye cannot fully pay attention to both people at all times. Yeah. And there's not a lot going on, but you are like kind of editing the movie yourself. Yeah. As you're paying I, yeah. attention. I found to that people. really fascinating. Like I kept going through that in my head. Like who am I supposed to be paying attention to? And it would kind of drift. It's like, okay, I want to follow him as he's like going to work on his, you know, he's working on his novel about dreams and film, which in a very like heartbreaking scene, she throws away because she's trying to like tidy his desk. Oof. Yeah. And there's a lot of tension in the movie in certain moments based on what each person is doing. And I I was going to say that moment in particular, like you see her rummaging through his desk and he's like taking a shower, you know, so he has no idea what's happening. And like you see her rip up these pages that he had and throw and it's just like and he's like what have you yeah, done right what have and you, done? you know he oh, has no. no idea and i was like oh my gosh you need to get out of the shower right now um so yeah it, they're really really effective no- moments with that separation well that and that with the medication too is another oh, big God. yeah it was cool because i don't know like i keep thinking of the the heart attack scene mm-hmm. oh, where you're God. like where is she what is she doing and you get to like right it was like having a baby monitor or something yeah, where yeah, it's yeah. like you have what's going on in, in in what your version of this like reality is but then you can look and see what the person who's supposed to go and like you know help out with this situation what they're doing right i don't know i thought that was really cool yeah there's a lot of visual information that's communicated yeah for both people at all times right where there's not a lot of mystery like there and i think that's what made this movie feel so personable where it's it felt like you were watching like a neighbor or a family member and like this is probably more realistic of what happens when people grow old in these situations and any other movie I've ever, I've ever seen, it's not like glamorized in any way. It's very real. And I think like being able to kind of see what's happening in both perspectives at the same time helped get that across. Yeah. I, I like that too, that it's not so rigid of a gimmick that like it's always doing that. Like it's not always showing the, two separate people's lives in the house. Like the son's story starts to come in the forefront, especially in the second half. Right. And he gets to, you know, command a frame Mm -hmm. as he's trying to like keep them together. And Mm -hmm. also stay sober, which ends up being a really heartbreaking. Yeah, I found his whole story very like emotionally satisfying. And it felt like that's the most personal to Noe. Him and Kiki. Yeah. Um, Like if you're like trying to maintain your sobriety and you're given the task of like helping a person with dementia, like this is too much for me to do right Where now. Where 
he's has to sort of work with his father and his dad's like no we're not doing that this is mm-hmm. our house and even the even the, the mother is like i'm a burden please. yeah that scene was really oh, yeah. heartbreaking with the three of them and then i kept thinking i'm like am i gonna have to have a conversation like that i'm like yeah I think we all will have to have those God. conversations at some point also the way that he's like relating trying to get them into a home where people can look after them he's like look you committed me right when i <laughs> right. like hit rock yeah. bottom yeah. and it was good and it was good for me yeah, yeah. i mean so uh, the thing about this movie in relation to a more <laughs> right and I, and actually like it made me like a more less seeing this version of it. and like i've come to kind of come to your point of view brandon about a more where this felt very humanistic and like really a lived in because i think gaspar noe like lived this to some degree it, like the stuff about addiction and about caring for a loved one with Alzheimer's and coming close to death, it felt very real and lived in and empathetic in a way that Amor felt very nihilistic and cold and, and a little punishing. mean and punishing. Mm-hmm. And this was just as brutal, like confronting what death is, but there was like a heart to it that I didn't get from Amor and like I don't know what people's stomach is for like how many Alzheimer's we're gonna die movies <laughs> can you take in a year but like this one I think did it better than Amor I think it gives you a lot more to think about like my mm-hmm. main complaint with Amor was like these terrible things happen and then Hanneke just sits in the pain and like twists the knife for like a full hour we're just like excruciatingly just dwelling on like the morbid aspects of the situation where like this one, I feel like actually gave me a lot to think about yeah. in my life, especially in terms of clutter. And like, <laughs> ah, yes. yes, I'm glad you brought that yeah. up. Like all of their stuff, all their books and films and like her, you know, yeah. papers from her um, psychiatrist uh, or is she just like a, she was a psychiatrist. A psychiatrist. Yeah. Her psychiatrist practice. Like they have this whole lived life. That's just sort of, absorbed and represented by these objects Mm -hmm. and every time they leave their apartment they go to some other cramped (laughs) european like bookstore or like market that's seen in the beginning where she's going to the market and it's so claustrophobic i was like i would get lost here this is a lot of my family lives like that too where they're just like oh that's my blah blah book from blah yeah yeah. Yeah, 500 of them but that's so different than like in a more and even like the father another alzheimer's movie like the apartments are very clean and tidy and this felt messy and lived in it's yeah. very french and it ends up being about that like they talk about it where yeah, like the very, they bring yeah. up his stuff a bunch yeah he's like if i move into a nursing home you're gonna take my stuff right. away i love my stuff like, yeah. my stuff is who i am right. it's my past it's my memory, and he yeah. ends up being right like when they both die i guess another spoiler alert <laughs> like <laughs> it's inevitable yeah like they both die and are erased from the narrative and like the final thing you're left with is their stuff being erased from the world right. and like they oh, just no what? longer exist all the, the open boxes from yeah. the movie and then the yeah. apartment the, like he chooses to end the film on just the empty apartment so that's what it will be that really struck a chord with me too because lately what I've been doing for fun is I go to these estate sales on Saturday mornings <laughs> not really to buy anything just because I like to dig in people's stuff and yeah. like a majority of them it's elderly people who 
died. And like you walk into these houses and a lot of them are like uptown where, you know, you pass these huge houses in the garden district and you're like, oh man, fuck them people. Like they're probably living high on the hog and blah. And you walk in and it's crumbling and there's just like, you know, wheelchair attachments on everything. Mm. And you know, the ceilings falling and then you look at all their stuff and it's like, wow, I'm like, they're dead. And this is all their shit. And I totally like whenever that see that very, you know, final scene happens in this movie where, they're having that like move out portion yeah. with all oh. their shit being moved. Yeah. yeah. There's even that specific line where the son, you know, as they're putting the mother away, her urn or whatever, he's like, oh, is that her new home? And he's mm-hmm. like, no, that's not a home. A home is something you live in. Right. And then to see the lived in home being erased, it's like, fuck, man. Like that. Wow rock me and it's so easy to extrapolate from there to like think about your own life your own relationship to possessions and like yeah. and i think that's the difference between this and amore to me is like amore is so clear cut and so dry and like what is on screen is all you get and this one i feel like almost the same number of events happen in it like it's not a very like plot heavy movie yeah and you kind of just sit in the house with them the same way but, like, there's so much more visual information and, like, mm-hmm. interesting relationship dynamics where, like, my brain was, like, worrying, thinking about everything else in my life outside of the yeah. movie. And, like, it just it hit me more personally because it just un- invites you to think. Yeah. I think there was also, there was less of a focus on the pain and misery. You know, and a more she's just, like, like moaning. Hurts. For, right, Hurts. exactly. And, I like, I really liked the complexity of the relationships in this film. Like, again, I was thinking of the father and Amor while we were watching this. And it's normally like, you know, they're affluent. They have affluent children that have like good established lives of their own. And the the children are kind of trying to find a way to shuttle their parents to the next stage. And like, I felt like I would be more similar to this guy than to them. Like, I have to take care of my parents now and I can barely take care of myself. Like what, what do you do in that situation? Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought there was more suspense to like, there were these moments where like she'll get an ironing board and you think like, is she going to start ironing her clothes? Like, is she going to start a fire? Set this place on fire. Yeah. Yeah. And, and mostly those things don't actually come to fruition like you know he dies of a heart attack and it does sit in the pain with that right that that yeah exactly that that's the most amorish moment yeah but it just felt more like a a cataloging of a of a real like two real lives ending than like let's scrutinize the horror and and physical pain of death and dying yeah that scene where he has the heart attack yeah we have heart problems in my family i'm assuming like when i do finally go it's gonna be a heart attack i don't know what age but it's probably gonna look similar to that and it (laughs) yeah and it fucks it fucked me up because i'm like and again with the split screen like i don't know where my partner will be at the time but i am going to die alone on a floor in my house and that's probably what it's going to look like in fuck. Like, I don't know how to deal with that. Like, but I, I did come out of this movie 
where I just like, as soon as it was over, I want to call my dad and I want to call my mom. I want to give my girlfriend a hug. I want to pet my cats. Like I'm fucking alive, you know, whereas we keep bringing up a more after more. I'm like, I want to just wish I was just fucking dead. Yeah. Like I'm depressed. Yeah. This movie did like enliven me in a way where it's like, man, like I'm here. Appreciate it while you got it. Appreciate it while you got it. And that is such a huge difference in feeling from a movie. It's sad too because like they're not a big family. It's the husband, the wife who are both like, you know, out the door as far as life goes. And then their one son and their grandchild. And I'm like, oh my God, like what does it feel like to like go through all that shit where like every day when you're living with someone who has dementia and you're their caretaker and you're fucking just as old as they are. Like every day is like, man, we made it today. We'll see if the house gets burned down tomorrow. If we die of fucking gas poisoning. And then what if you don't have kids and what if you don't have money? Like, you know, that was the thing that (laughs) I was like, am I actually going to like, would I be able to go to a home when I'm that old? You know, stupid expensive. Yeah. Like stupid expensive. So I'm like, what happens? Do you, right. are there like state run facilities or something? I don't know. And I, I guess I have to look into it and Do you prep. remember all those old people who like almost di- or did die of heat exhaustion during the last hurricane? Yeah, when they got put, well, they were in nursing homes that people were paying for. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. Well, Not good ones, but yeah. <laughs> no. I guess, I guess that was going to be my final question. What do I do? <laughs> that, that was going to be my final question. That was like, how many of these sort of films do we need in the world like me and me and hannah were kind of talking I mean, about just this, this one <laughs> right because they're they're really troubling and they're but they're important like they're about yes, death which yes. is important but i feel like especially with the alzheimer's angle i feel like the well is run a little dry i kind of felt with that with the father last year yeah. more than this yeah. one yeah and like there's a still alice movie um with julianne moore about alzheimer's and i guess the father like what bugged me more about that one is like I've it was good and it was well done, but like I've seen that like from the perspective of someone with dementia, like how do you edit a story mm-hmm. like that? Like I've seen that done on tel- on like multiple television shows before. I saw it in that yeah. movie, yeah. And like BoJack Horseman. Yeah, it was a very good one. Yeah. And I think that Stephen King anthology show, whatever that was called, yeah. Sissy Spacek had a good episode with that. Uh, and I don't know, this Castle one does. Rock. This one at least has a fresh perspective to that story. That yeah. these other movies, I feel like didn't necessarily know what they wanted to say, maybe, or like didn't have anything unique to say. Right. Yeah. I feel like it can go in the direction of like, isn't this sad? You know, and yeah. look at how painful this is. And like, aren't aren't these people tortured? You know, and, and this, yeah, this did feel different. I think we need more movies about old people, first of all, because we're all going to be old someday, most of us. Maybe, maybe, but there's not. <laughs> oh my God. Not if I there's, there's not like a lot of stories. Like old people are like marginalized and looked yeah. down upon in society, and there's not enough stories about different kinds of old old people that are alone and don't have yeah. resources. Old people right. who lost their partner a decade ago and are struggling with dating. The yeah, old people movies we get are like the best exotic marigold hotel. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. <laughs> like that. Which I love. episode yeah. in a row we referenced that movie, by the way. <laughs> 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 wow. Like, I don't know. I want more stories about old people. And I, 
fuck it. I want more stories about dying. Dying yeah. is like the hardest thing to talk about. Oh, it makes but, you want to throw up. Yeah. Yeah. But I do think maybe we can leave behind the Alzheimer's stuff as a vehicle for sympathy. But I thought this one beautifully captured that idea that we need yeah. movies that talk about yeah. death because it's hard to talk about. And I know we go to the movies to be entertained and forget about it, but every once in a while to have a movie where you got to confront it and really think about it, it's good for us. I guess. That's yeah. how I feel about it. <laughs> I think it's good for me. Like like I said, after this movie, I want to hug my friends, tell people I love That's them. That's true. And be happy that I'm alive. I need to start thinking more about future plans. Right. Yeah, there are enough movies <laughs> where people are like, just shut off your brain and enjoy it whenever you bring up like critiques of stuff. And this is that's the opposite experience of what you just described, where it's like it's making you more present. Yeah. And like appreciate right. educational yeah. experience. I will say too, like as much of a departure as this is for No Way, like thematically, I saw this in the theater at Broad. Ooh. And it was mixed like all of his like more exciting movies like Climax, like it was so deafeningly loud in like mm-hmm. the way it was like presented theatrically, but like the sounds you were hearing were like toilets flushing and like typewriters and coughing and just like these really yeah. mundane um, sounds just like so loud. It was like oppressive. So I, I found that to be a very different experience than watching it at home uh, where like I was kind of had it lower in the mix. Uh, so like CC wasn't bugged in the next room, you know, yeah. like in the theater, it was like a very unpleasant experience. Um, deliberately. So the way yeah. all of his movies are, he's still, he's still up to his usual <laughs> shit here. Like, I, don't, I don't really feel like he's like matured in any kind of way. Yeah. Um, but it seems like a provocateur that had a run in with death. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, now mm-hmm. I need to make a provocative film about death. Cause shit, like I'm lucky to be alive. And also with, him overcoming his addictions and being sober again. Like yeah. all those things are really tied in to the film and make it feel very personal. I, I think it's his best thing he's ever done. Damn. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I like climax a lot, but man, this really feels like, yeah, provocateur that had a run in with death and wants to just talk about all the shit that's hard to talk about. I am warming up to him. I want to revisit enter the void I want to see Lux yeah. Eterna before the year's up. I'm very interested in watching Lux Eterna. Guy. I mean, anything with witches is an easier sell for me than this. Even though I went <laughs> to the theater for this, like, if it was a choice between this and Lux Eterna on the same, like, do all, all his movies have, like, the same, like, credit situation? They're where it's, all like, very, bold yeah. and in your face, like, burr, burr, yeah. Burr. And like the gimmick in these it. credits was cool. It was, like, the birth year of every actor yeah, and contributor. Yeah, right. Which right. like included with their name. It's very cool. Now uh, the so female weird. character, I can't remember her name, but she played in, she was in the mother and the, the mother and the whore. Yeah. 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 French New Wave uh mm-hmm. and there was all those veteran. pictures of her and Argento. I'm assuming that they were or have been friends for a while. I, I feel like that could have been Photoshop. Yeah. I was trying yeah. to figure that out too, because I was like, Oh, did they have a fling? Or I'm like, oh, but maybe they worked yeah. together. Yeah, because they looked like that picture looked legit. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it would be pretty easy because they were mostly uh, some of them were black and white. I think they seem like easy photos to manipulate, yeah. basically. Interesting. Which that scene um, of the funeral, like that, was the closest that I came to crying. Just like I don't know the discussion before of like these objects being your identity and yeah. like kind of sacrificing a longer life for 
to be live out your days surrounded by the things that were important to you and then Oof. like following that with this like very tender ceremony of these photos like of just cataloging her like very sweet beautiful photos cataloging her progression through life it took like 30 seconds to go through and then it's done yeah Yeah. dude that's uh that's how i felt my grandmother's funeral because like yeah they were like now it's time for the um what's the like a slideshow yeah slideshow that's where i was and it's like okay it's like a three minute slideshow that's what she did. That yeah. wasn't her fucking life. And <laughs> that's all she did. <laughs> in our in our family, there was a bunch of drama because my aunt, who had a fallout with my father, she got to She got final edit? Final edit on the slideshow and ninety percent of the photos were were with her and my cousin. Oh, that is infuriating. And, yeah, and me and my oh, dad were no. not in them, and that yeah. was kind of the final We'd never, we have not That's talked. That's kind of like the meanest thing to do. That is yeah. so cruel. And it yeah. was so fucked up. It's like all these people in this church in Georgia look at that and like, that's her life. Right. That right. wasn't her right. life, dude. These were her relationships. That's not the time to be petty. No, it's like, oh dude, I talked to her every, anyway, I'm not going to go into yeah. that. But that was like so infuriating. Yeah. We used to have her picture on our mantle when we lived together. In the I know. Room. Yeah. But it's like. The fact that someone's life, you can try to condense it down to a three-minute mm-hmm. slideshow. Maybe that's what is going to happen to all of us. But. Isn't there a movie with Robin Williams where he like does that for a living? Like he takes people's memories to put into like a slideshow for their funerals throughout their whole life. It's like very sci-fi. Oh. What? I really? Remember that. that sounds cool as hell. Yeah. yeah. So it's like he'll pick certain things like. Because all your memories are tied to this like device, and he digs through them. That's his job for funerals, and then he like makes like a big. I will say that sounds very after Yang, which was another movie we quoted for this episode. Yeah, I was gonna pick that one, but it's it's in a similar sci-fi bent as that. I'm gonna have to check that out. Well, maybe that'll happen by the time we're of death age, where like we'll have control over that kind of shit. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a lot. I don't feel like this movie is for everyone at every point in time. But I do think at least once a year, we should have a movie where we have to contemplate death. Yeah. (laughs) And then we can go back to the RRR stuff, (laughs) which is pure. So I don't know this best of 2022 roundup kind of hit all the, we made good selections. (laughs) Yeah. This worked out very well. Yeah. It is kind of funny. We started with like the most fun movie and we've like kind of like slid into the depths of like misery (laughs) as we've gone along. But uh, I thought all four of these movies are great. Yeah. yeah. All great. Watch them. Yeah, I did like all of them. Yeah. yeah which is good. And we're going to keep this going next episode. Um, on Hulu this week, they're going to premiere Hatching, which is like the Finnish oh, yes. fairy tale yeah. movie about That's the giant egg. Movie. Yeah. I'm very excited to watch that. Oh, uh, yeah. So we're going to talk about that on the podcast next week uh, with Boomer and Allie. And meanwhile, on the blog, I've just been writing about New releases mostly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what's, what I'm posting this week, but it, it, <laughs> I have been trying to think about the year being halfway over and like catching up with some like new releases. You feel like it's a strong year for film? I think every year's the same. Like the more movies you watch, the more gems you find. Yeah. Like, I, I never am that interested in that like 
1999 was the best movie year ever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, or the 70s hit different or whatever the fuck people <laughs> I say. Saw, I like this as an exercise where like, I felt like I found some gems yeah. with this episode. Yeah. And sometimes that requires uh, something very daunting, like watching a three hour action movie or <laughs> thinking about dementia and heart attacks for however long oh uh, Vortex God. is. It's another long one. It's like over two hours. Yeah. I saw when I saw in the theater it was just me and one elderly couple. Oh, oh God. Me, oh, that was not a very like uh, jubilant mood on the way out. Like, oh, <laughs> no. we just sort of somberly filed out of the parking lot. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh <laughs> We'll talk to you later. <laughs> Bye. 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 Wow. <laughs> 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 I'm